Well, good morning, everybody. I just wanted to, uh, man, I'm excited about this service, actually, um, because this sermon, this last sermon in our series on the Word, is really the sermon that we had in mind from the very beginning of this entire series. Because as we were thinking about this series to kick off the new year, we were asking this question, like, what is it that we really want people to start this year off with? If we could have like a win for the year to begin with, what would it be? And, and we thought, what better way to start the year than really getting around God's word, getting a vision for what God's word's about and having that word deeply transform our life. What I wanted uh, to do as we get started, though, is I really want to talk through what we've been covering in this series. Because in order for us to really get what we need to out of today's message, what I want to do is I want to kind of show you how all the sermons have been building up to today. So in that first sermon, uh, we looked at how we are transformed by what we treasure, right? And that when our, heart, our hearts are shaped by whatever we treasure, right? And so if we're treasuring the right thing, our heart is shaped in the right direction. But if we let what should just be a minor thing in life become the major thing in life, our heart gets shaped in the wrong direction, right? And so as, as people, we just, we're, we're shaped by what we treasure. And so part of what we need to do is let the word of God tell us what we are to treasure, right? Let God tell us, let God direct us with what we should be treasuring. And then that second sermon, Evan, he talked about how we have need to be reading the scripture in community, how the word of God was always given to the people of God. And that in that community, in the, in the community of the people of God, we're able to, to, to kind of interpret scripture correctly, to have safeguards, right? To have people that maybe are able to show us things that we're not seeing. And, and in this corporate setting, have the Holy Spirit just guide us into all truth. And so there's safety in that. There's, there's this community that helps us stay committed to Jesus. And then as Evan just reviewed on our video, last week we talked about you can't snack your way to spiritual health, right? That the truth of the matter is we need to realize that the Bible wasn't made as these little devotional chunks for the day, right? This little thought for the day to get you on to your work or whatever you have in front of you. But it's, instead, it's meant to be meditated on day and night. And so last week, I ended with this Bible challenge. How many of you guys took the Bible challenge this week? You guys started it? Hands all over the place. Look at all these. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's okay. We're going to get you on that Bible challenge if you have not yet taken it, okay? Um, but I know a lot of you have, and we've been talking about like really just having this like commitment to each other. Uh, doing this in community, doing this with my small group, doing this with um, the people around me, and, and really kind of having that accountability to meditate on scripture day and night. And so here's the question today. What happens if I actually do this? If I really take to heart these three sermons so far in this series, what, what actually will be the result in my life? What happens if I meditate on scripture day and night? What, what, what will my life look like if I really make the word of God the foundation of my life, how is this going to shape me? And so um, I want to, before I kind of jump into that answer today to that question, I want to make a, an observation about the human race. Because there's something about the human race that gives us this peculiar need to make sense out of life. 
mere survival isn't enough, right? Um, it's, it's not enough for us just to kind of have food on the table. It's, there's something more that just kind of drives us as people. And, and there's this, 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 this thing that um, just keeps us thinking more in terms of like, where am I going in life? What's the point of it all? People need a reason to get up in the morning. And I think that that's, uh, that's really, no matter where you're at in life, right? No matter what culture you're in, no matter what other things kind of are, are kind of in your, in your wheelhouse, there's this, there's this drive that people need to say, okay, this is what I think life's about. In fact, I would argue this, that every person has a story that they believe about their life, right? And even if they don't think about it all the time, even if it's not something that, you know, they, they, they're constantly thinking about what's the meaning of life, right? I think most of us, uh, we, we realize that there is some point to our life, right? And maybe a lot of us have kind of adopted the American version of that story, right? Which says that, you know, life's really about kind of working hard and enjoying the fruit of your labor, it's about family. It's about having, you know, the opportunity to just kind of enjoy my children. Maybe some of us have a little bit more of a, like an eco-conscious, you know, and, and we're thinking about the world. And maybe some of us think the, the, the purpose of our life is to make the world a better place. And you kind of saw that in some of these interviews that we showed in that video to start our time together. But if, but if, uh, but if you would just kind of go along with me on this, I, I really think that at the end of the day, People are storied. People live out a story. And this kind of gives me the, the, the big idea this morning, which is this. The story I believe shapes the life that I lead. Whatever story I believe, whatever um, view of reality that I think is true, if, if, I, if I kind of buy the American story, right, that... I'm really, you know, here to try to enjoy my life, that I've been, I've been given some, some benefits that maybe other people haven't enjoyed in this life. You know, I, I was lucky enough to be in this country. And so a part of this country's story is just to kind of, you know, accumulate and, and enjoy, right? And try to avoid pain and, and kind of experience pleasurable, uh, you know, experiences. Maybe that's around my family. The only kind of rule we have as a country is just don't hurt anybody else, right? Like you can, you can enjoy whatever you want, but just, just don't hurt anyone else. Um, have you ever met someone though and you thought, man, that person's kind of weird. <laughs> Thank you, bro. <laughs> Appreciate you. <laughs> and you thought, man, that person just, they, their behavior is strange, right? Like, I don't know what it was. Maybe they, they just don't have the same view of hygiene that you do, right? Or maybe they just, um, you know, maybe they just honestly, they just seem to have a whole different set of values than you do, right? Um, can, I, can I give you a suggestion of maybe why that's the case? I think the more someone else's story, the story they believe, differs from your story, the, the, the greater that distance is, the more strange their behavior will seem to you. It seems, it seems completely consistent to them because that's what they believe. That's the story that they believe, right? But, but if you in, in, in come into contact with someone whose behavior seems eccentric or, or off, right? Um, and you think, man, I, I just, I couldn't live that way, right? Some of you guys are, are dog people and dog people in the room here. Yeah, it's a lot of dog people, right? Other, others are cat people. Any cat people in the room, right? And others are really kind of like animals are great outside kind of like at a distance kind of people, any of those kind of people in the room. Yeah, right? 
And so, you know, you just think, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mind animals. They're, you know, tasty, you know, or whatever. Just joking. <laughs> but like, I'm just, I'm just not a dog person or I'm not a cat person or I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand that, right? Like that, that, you know, um, sometimes it happens too, even in a greater way when you go to a different country, right? You go to a different country and that country is either going to, is either going to kind of shock you, right? Or delight you depending on the story that most people in that country believe in. I remember when I went to India, I, I, this was the country that I had the greatest culture shock. I remember getting off the airplane and the first, I've been in many, many poor countries, but this was the first time that I'd ever just experienced in the airport, what I would just say is just really, really, you know, kind of filthy conditions in, that, in the airport. And I just thought, well, okay, this is probably just a really poor country. I, I heard about India when I was going I, to kind of get ready for that. But what I really didn't realize is how Hinduism embedded into that culture really shaped the way that entire nation felt about animals and, and, and everything else, that animals were the reincarnations of their ancestors. And so I would go to just restaurants or I would go to anywhere in this country and, and at any moment, right, a cow could just kind of wander in and out of the building, right? Um, there were these temples that were just everywhere. And so you might have a road that was going straight down this area. And then all of a sudden, a, a, a dramatic left turn or whatever around this little shrine to one of the, the millions of gods represented in the Hindu religion. And I thought, man, that is tr- it's just strange, right? It's just a very different culture. And so I would argue that whatever the story we believe is the thing that shapes the life that we lead. And that, that a story that's beautiful will lead to beautiful behavior. A story that's bizarre will lead to bizarre behavior. Are you guys with me on this? And so I, I want us to understand this, that the entire point of, of the series on the word of God is to really kind of show you one thing. And that's this, that the Bible is a story. It's a unified story of God's love, of his rescue, and his invitation. And if you're a Jesus follower, here, here's what you are. You're someone who's adopted this as your story. You guys with me this morning? This is something that becomes authoritative for you. This becomes normative for you. This is the thing that you draw your values and your morality from. This is the thing that tells you what's right and wrong. This is the thing that guides you and helps lead your decisions. See, that's what the entire point of this series was, is to get to this punchline. Church, here's my question. Do we believe this is our story? Do we live like this is actually the story of reality, right? I, I, I talked a minute ago about the Hindus in India that I met and they were devoted. Friends, they would do things that we would consider bizarre, but in their culture is normal because the story that they believe dictates the life that they lead. That's really important. In fact, uh, what I want to do today is I want to show you how that, that is exactly what the Bible pr- portrays it to be is a story I want to remind you of this story when Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh, Jamie, she read this text for us this morning. And it's Easter afternoon. So it's the afternoon after Jesus has risen from the dead. It's Sunday afternoon. Jesus is walking along this road. And there are these two disciples who are ahead of Jesus. And they're arguing or speaking. The, the Greek says they're speaking 
speaking sternly with each other or intently, right? I'm not saying they're yelling at each other, but they're definitely having kind of an intense talk. And they're talking and Jesus kind of walks alongside of them and he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they said, oh, well, we're just, we're talking about everything that happened this weekend. And Jesus kind of plays dumb. He goes, well, what happened this weekend? Well, what do you mean? Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what happened this weekend? Well, what was it? Well, it's about Jesus of Nazareth, someone that we thought was the Messiah. He did all these miracles and these works and our religious leaders were jealous and they crucified him. And this is uh, a few days since this all happened. And this morning, some of our women went to the tomb where they had buried Jesus and they found it empty. And we just really don't know what to make of any of this. And then we have this text. Look at it in Luke chapter 24. He said to them, how foolish you are. Now, this is a stranger. They don't know it's Jesus, right? Their, their eyes have been kind of hidden from Jesus's identity. And so Jesus, he kind of looks at them and here's the problem, right? They, they are having difficulty believing the story, right? Now, we can't fault them. I don't think many of the Jews understood that the Messiah would come and suffer on a cross. But notice what Jesus does to disciple them in their journey with with him in their Christianity. Here's what he says. He says, look how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory and then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the scriptures concerning himself. Do you know what Jesus is doing here? He's taking these two disciples who are struggling and he's reminding them of the story. Some of us need to be reminded of the story, church. Some of us need to have a brother or a sister or a pastor, a teacher, someone, a mentor in the faith say, hey, let me remind you of the story. You're in the middle of the storm and that's when you need the story. It's in the middle of the doubt. It's when you're thinking about walking away, you need someone to remind you of the story. These two disciples were downcast. They were discouraged. They'd watched the the most horrific crime in human history on Friday when Jesus was crucified on the cross. Their heads were spinning. Their world had been shaken to its core. And what does Jesus do? He reminds them of the story. In fact, this happens over and over in the New Testament. I'm gonna show you a couple of places where Paul or other New Testament writers, they remind people that, that we're in this story. And this is a, a good example. Paul is writing to his disciple, Timothy. He's a young pastor. Timothy's at, he's in the city of Ephesus and he's facing opposition there. There's false teaching going on. There's, the church is being splintered by the enemy. And Paul is, is worried that his young disciple, Timothy, isn't gonna know what to do and is gonna vacillate. In fact, there's good evidence that Timothy's feeling timid. He's feeling bashful. He's feeling a little bit like insecure, right? And so Paul He writes these words to Timothy and I want to show you what he's doing. Look what he's doing. He says, he has saved us, Timothy. I'm adding Timothy there, right? Okay. And called us to a holy life. Like I just see Paul like coach Paul, right? He's like grabbing Timothy by the, by the shoulders, you know, like a football coach. He's like looking at him in the, in the eyes through the helmet and says, man, don't forget Timothy. He saved us. That's when y'all cheer. Okay. Who's excited? He saved us. Yeah, okay, right? He saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. 
This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. You know what, Timothy, let me, let me tell you something. This author of our salvation knows the end from the beginning. This person who saved us knows what he's doing. He's got this whole thing planned. It's in his hand. And even though in the moment right now, we're like, where's God's hand? Where's God's plan? Let me remind you, he has the end known from the beginning. Can I get an amen to that? You don't need to be afraid. God knows what he's doing. But Brad, I don't think he does. It doesn't look like it. How, how does this like reconcile with, with this plan of God? I don't understand this pain. Sometimes the pain in our life doesn't seem to match the plan that God has for our life. And it's in those moments, my friend, we need the story. And so look what he says next. He says, but now it's been revealed through the appearing of our savior, Christ Jesus, who has done what? Okay, let's say that like, Let's say that like it's written. Who has done what to death? Yeah. Who in here is glad he destroyed death? Amen. Who's, hey, who's been at the graveside of a loved one and who's glad that Jesus has destroyed death? Who needs that story right now? Who in your life needs that story right now? Who needs to be reminded that death is not the end, that Christians don't really die? That is the truth, my friend, because he lives, we also will live. Do you believe this? Jesus asked Martha at the graveside of her brother, Lazarus. Do you believe this? Man, I wanna just look at you like that coach, put my arms on your shoulders and look at you in the eye and say, hey guys, don't forget Jesus abolished death. He destroyed death and brought immortality and life, uh, and, life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's the story. Let me ask you, who's telling you the story? Who's reminding you of the story in your life? Man, the enemy, he, he'll tell you a story. Satan's good at telling stories. Anybody know that? He's really good at telling stories. He told Adam and Eve a story. You want to be like God? That forbidden fruit, that's not going to harm you. That's going to help you. That's, not gonna, that's, not, that's God keeping something good from you. That's a story. Every sin, every decision, every bad choice is downstream from a bad story. Are you with me, church? Guys, we don't, we don't have a sin problem. We got a story problem. That's really the issue, right? The issue is not sin. The issue is the story because every bad decision comes from the bad story. It's when I don't trust God. It's when I don't believe God. It's, not when, I, it's when I'm not sure God's gonna be there, when God's not good in my life, when I'm not positive for, for those things. It's in that moment I'm at the place where the story is at the headwaters of the bad choices in my life. God, sometimes it's not a behavior problem. It's a belief problem. Are you with me, church? We can work on behavior all day long, but until we get the story straight, the behavior's never gonna line up because we always live out of the story we actually believe. It's not the story we say we believe. It's not the story we hope we believe. It's the story we actually believe. My actions reveal my story. That's just true. Look what Paul says. I could do this over and over and over, but look what he says in Ephesians. He says this. He says, you were once darkness. He's writing to some Gentiles. He goes, man, before you met Jesus, you were darkness. That was just it. That was you. That was your identity. Man, let me just talk about identity for a second because we live in a culture obsessed with identity. 
We identify in all kinds of ways. And what we do is we identify around our, our desires or our urges or our groups. But you know what, friend? That's just darkness because that's not who we are. If you're in Jesus, you don't identify by what you're compelled to by some urge inside of you. You identify with what God says you are. I want you to understand this, friend. We're not letting the, the culture tell me what my identity is. I'm gonna let the word of God, this story tell me who I am. How much does our world need to hear that today? That's right. Because here's the good news, guys. God loves you. The story of the Bible, I said it a minute ago, is the story of God's love, his rescue, and his invitation. That's the story. Stop letting other people write your story. Stop letting the enemy write your story. Stop letting culture write your story. Stop letting everybody else write your story. Start letting God write your story. That's the story. So Paul is writing this story to, 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 to these Gentiles. He said, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And so what does he say? Live as children of light. Live out your story, like adopt this as your story and then live accordingly. He says, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Paul, he's a little modest here, but he's telling, he's telling Timothy, listen, or he's telling Ephesus, the same church that Timothy, Timothy's pastoring, he says, listen, you guys, don't let the darkness of this world become your identity. Instead, live as children of light. We shouldn't even be discussing what's been done in secret. Let's not even, let, let's not even like discuss that because it's really awful. Instead, let's expose that by our life of holiness. I love what um, a, a scholar on this text says. He says, most goals, uh, the, the goals that most people know in this life are really only pleasure and possessions. And for many, that means that life is out of control. Hey, maybe that's been you at some point in your life. Maybe that's you right now. That the goal for your life is really pleasure and possessions and really your life's out of control because that's kind of the story that you believe and so that's the life that you lead. And so Paul is writing to this church and he's saying, listen, that's who you were. You were darkness, but now you're light. And he goes on, look what he says. He goes on a couple of verses later. He says that, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Notice how the story is now shaping how their life is going to be. He says, look, because you are in the light, because you are light now, I want you to be very careful with how you live. In fact, I think there's a, and something that's being implied here. In our video a bit ago, right, um, people were asked, what's the meaning of life? And there's kind of answers all over the place. And even though everyone understood the question, you could tell some people aren't very thoughtful about it, right? They're like, I'm not really quite sure. I'm just kind of hoping for the best. Maybe I should try to leave my mark, right? Or, or enjoy my family or, you know, maybe, and then there's a couple of Christians you could tell and they had a little bit more clarity about the, about the answer. 
Guys, I think that's part of this point. God doesn't want you to be in any way confused about what you're supposed to be doing with the time you have. Guys, if you don't wake up in the morning with purpose, then can I remind you of what the story says? Come on. Can I, can I help you meditate on God's word day and night so that when you wake up in the morning, there's not any doubt in your mind about what your purpose is, about what God's plan is? Guys, what if we did that? Come on. What if every morning we woke up and we're like, man, God, we have a new adventure today in your kingdom. Man, who, who's going to find the light of Jesus today as you use your servant who's dedicated himself to you today? Like, God, how are we going to, what, what, what do we got planned today, Jesus? Like, what if that was actually how we woke up, right? Instead of how we kind of normally wake up, like, oh no, I'm late, let's go, right? Hit your perverse of the day. I'm gonna hit on last week's sermon a little bit, you know? Okay, got my reverse, you know, right? And it's really the furthest thing from our mind for most of the day. Man, what if we were a church that really meditated on it day and night? And our coworkers, we saw them as divine appointments for people to meet Jesus because we're the temple of God, right? And we really see that about ourselves. Like when people meet me, they meet the place where God dwells, right? Like what if we actually believed the story? Are you with me today, church? Right? What if our neighbors knew that we were Jesus followers? What if they thought, man, you're kind of weird. And here's why, right? Remember what I told you about weird people, right? It's when their story and your story are kind of far apart. Man, ooh, here you go, Chris. Maybe people don't think we're weird whew, because our stories really aren't that different. Because honestly, we believe pretty much what everyone else does. Our life really isn't that much different, right? Because truly, there's not a lot of distance between my story and their story. Friends, there should be a lot of distance. Guys, listen, even though Jesus believed the story that he was the Messiah, and even though the tax collectors and the sinners probably saw him as a little weird, he was still attractive because Jesus' love was able to bridge that gap that existed between them. And Jesus would invite tax collectors and sinners to his table, right, because of his great love, because he believed the story that everyone was welcomed at the table of God. And even if the tax collectors and the sinners couldn't really understand why this rabbi would love them, and even though they probably were, their minds were blown that this holy man wanted them in, their, in his, their presence, right? Jesus' beautiful story led to a beautiful life, and it's attractive. You want to know why the world loves Jesus and not the church? You want to know why evangelicals are having a bad rap in our culture today? Because most of us are not living out this story the way that Jesus showed us how to. We're not loving our enemies. We're not, we're not, we're not turning the other cheek, right? We're weaponizing the Bible to win political points. We're not walking across the aisle to love people we disagree with. We're not embodying the gospel. We're not living out this story. Guys, this is a sad story of the church, right? At different moments in our history, We've strayed from the story. The Crusades. What are we thinking, right? That is not what Jesus called us to do. At different moments in our story, we're not living true to what Jesus has for us. And this goes back to what Paul's saying here. Make every opportunity, or make the most out of every opportunity because the days are evil. Know what the, know what the will of the Lord is. You know, when you read the Bible, church, and I want you to start reading it this way. 
I want you to read the Bible this way. When you're, when you're reading through, like, let's say like, you know, first or second Samuel, and you're reading about David or Saul or somebody, I want you to read it this way. Here's the question I want you to be reading. Like, will David trust Yahweh in this circumstance of his life, right? Where did Saul go wrong? Where did Saul go wrong? If you know your Bible, right? Saul went wrong when he stopped believing the story, when he walked away from what God had appointed for him and started taking something that wasn't his to take. Where did David go wrong, right? When David saw Bathsheba from the top of the, of the, of the terrace there, and he said, you know what? It's the age old story of Eden. Something that's good for my eyes, right? Something that's delightful to my eyes. He's taking the forbidden fruit. It's Eden again and again and again. Are you with me, church? And so you read the story through that lens, you're constantly meditating on scripture and you're thinking, okay, so now here's my life. I'm in 2023. When I'm at work, when I'm by myself, when I'm wherever I am, like, do, do I, will I trust Yahweh to meet my needs? Will I have courageous faith when the storm is blowing and Jesus is walking on the water? Am I gonna be like Peter and I'm gonna say, Lord, if it's you, like, bid me to come out there. Because that's what, that's what this entire story is about. It's about inviting you into it. Are you with me, guys? In fact, I believe it's in the hardest moments of life where we need the story the most. And I think you see this again in the New Testament. I want to show you how Paul writes to a group of believers that he never met, most of them, in the book of Romans. And I want you to look at this now from a different angle. Romans chapter five, look what he says. If we're gonna skip the map, sorry. Go to Romans five, there it is. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. Now look what he says. We confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So that's, that's the premise so because of our story, because we know Jesus has abolished death, right? We can say, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confidently and I'm going to joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. No matter where I'm at in my life, no matter what I'm going through, I'm going to be anchored by that because that's, my, that's what I believe is true about reality. Look at the next verse though. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Anybody running into a problem or a trial right now? Anybody got a struggle at work? or in a relationship? Paul says you can rejoice in that. Now, why in the world? Again, right? Behavior is downstream of story, right? So why would someone actually be so weird as to rejoice when stuff is going wrong? Here's why. If you have the right story, you can have the right response. Look what he says. For we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So I'm going through a trial. And I'm saying, okay, Lord, I'm in this trial and so today you, I believe, are in control of the universe. And so you've allowed your son to be in this trial. 
God, I want to see this trial through the lens of the story. And I'm going to believe that you're going to take whatever I'm facing and you're going to make it good for my future. You're going to make all things good for those who love God and who are, who are saved according to his purpose. Are you with me? Like that's, that's the hope I have. I just get fired from a job. Okay, Lord, I am not anticipating that. That was out of left field. Help me to walk in faith right now to make the right decision for my future. Help me to not be like the characters in scripture who when, the, when the, you know, the going went tough, they got going. Help me to lean in and not lean out. Guys, the entire series has been leading to this moment. I wanna talk to you as we end today about what uh, a guy named Glenn Powell, a scholar named Glenn Powell says about the way God works with humanity in scripture. And he uses the illustration of improv. How many of you guys are familiar with improv, like comedy improv, right? And he says that in, in, this, in this improv, you have a, a, the first comedian or the first person telling the story will, will, make, a, will make a statement or, or will start like the, the story off. And then they hand it to the next person, right? And this is not scripted, right? It's kind of free flowing, right? And he says that that handoff is called an offer to the next person. Now, what's the next person going to do? Well, the next person is going to take the story and he, can, he or she can take that story and keep it going or it can take it in a totally different direction, right? And he says, when someone takes it in a totally different direction, that's called a, a counteroffer. It's called a counteroffer. He says, in the biblical story, God started the story off and he gave man the offer. But instead of following God's plan, right, what did we do? We... We made a counteroffer, and he calls that a bad offer. It's a sin. We sinned. We rebelled. But Powell says, at this moment in the improv, God doesn't just stop the story. He says he overaccepts our bad offer. He says what that means is he takes everything we've done, and he's incorporated, because he's so wise and good, back into his sovereign plan for, for creation. And the bad offer that we've made, he's brought it right back into his plan and his purpose. Because although God gives you freedom, God's purposes are going to stand. Can I get an amen? And so now the question really is this. What happens when God makes this counteroffer to you? This is an opportunity for you and for me to come back into the story. And the biblical word for that is to repent or to let God take back the story of your life. See, that's the thing about God, right? He is the master storyteller. He's got the whole plan from the beginning to the end. He knows where it's going. But the question is, is are we gonna be submissive and surrender to that story? Or are we going to try to swim against the grain? Are we going to try to swim upstream? Are we going to try to take it in a different direction to our own shame? Because every time we do that, church, every time we take the story our own direction, over and over and over and over again, it always leads to the same place. Pain, despair, and judgment. Guys, today I want to end our series on the word with this question. Will you let Jesus be your king? 
Will you enter into this story of the king and the kingdom? Will you bow your knee at King Jesus? Will you adopt this as your story? If there are times right now, and, and maybe you've already started following Jesus, but you know, if you were to be honest, God was, you know, here present with you across the seat from you, you know, it's been a while since he's been king for you. You've been running your own story. You've been calling your own shots. And today's the time to come back.